Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Oswego Alumni Podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Oswego Alumni Association, SUNY Oswego, or any of its officials. Without further ado, here is your host, D. Perkins. Welcome to the Oswego Alumni Podcast. I'm Dee Perkins, class of 1985. Today, we're talking with Brittany Gibbons, who has had a long career, not only being interested in climate change, but really interesting now is that she is working for Tesla, but she really loves climate change, was an early adopter of all that information. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that. Welcome to the podcast, Brittany. Oh, thank you for having me. So you are a, I got to get this right, senior software engineer at Tesla. Yes. That's, How that's exciting correct. is that? Does everyone who worked there get one of the cars? <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I love working there. The car situation, we we don't get free cars, unfortunately. We we just get the, um, the bragging rights that we work at Tesla. <laughs> I know, which is pretty nice. Which is it, pretty nice. Yes. When you're out shopping and you know, you have a Tesla jacket on, do a lot of people say, hey. Oh yeah, definitely. When I have like I get cars that pick me up from Lyft or like Lyft or Uber. People ask me like, hey, this is really exciting. Tell me what you do. And I'm just like, I will tell you a little bit. Um, but, <laughs> and it's just, people just find it really interesting, which is, it's always fun to talk about our products with people because everyone's just stoked about it. So I'm going to start with the Lyft driver question since you just gave it to me. So tell me <laughs> a little bit about what you do at Tesla. Yeah. So, um, as a senior software engineer, basically I work on various applications. So I build out websites, I create buttons <laughs> for those websites, um, and they just dis display information and users interact with it in ways um, either internally for tools or um, external tools. For example, we have the vehicle UI, so I work in that as well. So um, it's basically creating buttons, creating different data sources, things like that. So it's pretty, it's pretty widespread for me. So this is like the touch screen that you get when you drive a new Tesla. Um, everything seems to be on the, on the touch screen, uh, everything from air conditioning to radio stations, uh, to heated seats, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I work with that touch screen. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you are from the class of, oh, let me get this right. Night. 2012. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so let's go all the, all the way back. You're in Palo Alto now, but you started uh, before you came to Oswego. You were in Binghamton, correct? Yes, I was in Binghamton. Um, I what, lived there until I was 18. What made you choose Oswego as a place to go to college? So the main reason is because of the fact that they had pretty much all of the potential courses and um, programs that I wanted to go into. So uh, my main thing that I really wanted to, to tackle was like meteorology. I was stoked about learning about the weather because I had taken a class in high school with one of my, uh, he, he was a, my cross country coach, but he was also a teacher in high school, Mr. Brooks. And I loved, I loved learning everything about meteorology and um, earth sciences in general. So that was the main draw. And the second piece is like, it's pretty affordable. Like if you looking at out of state or any other university, it's not, it's not cheap at all. And, um, with the student debt crisis in general, like, um, that 
that's not a non-trivial concern, especially t today's uh, students have to c consider. So those are the two main reasons. I had the courses I was interested in, and then uh, it was it was affordable. So did you know about Al Roker, or <laughs> was that a surprise <laughs> when you got there that, ah, Al Roker is a meteorologist that went to Oswego? I think it may have been like one of those things that they told us about when we went on our tour. They're like, Al Roker went to school at SUNY Oswego. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. This is legit. <laughs> yeah, he mentions us a lot. <laughs> yeah. We love you, Al. We love you. Um, when you got to Oswego, though, boy, talk about weather and uh, the amazing amount of different weather at Oswego. Um, yeah. What kind of scratched the itch on climate change when you got there? Yeah. Um, so I had taken, uh, I had taken, a, I think it was a climatology course with Mr. Sam, who, who actually, he recently passed away, but he was like one of um, the meteorology professors in the, the four meteorology professors that I had at Oswego. And he basically it goes over the concepts of climate change, uh, sorry, of climatology and like all the mechanisms associated with it. And then I started digging in deeper about climate change and like what is the cause of it. And then I also was learning more about pollution and um, all, all the different impacts that uh, energy has on the environment. Because um, when you produce uh, any sort of energy, typically there's going to be pollution that is uh, emitted from that energy source. So with that said, uh, I just got really interested in the fact that there was a problem tied to, to this, this in, the science of uh, climatology, meteorology, air pollution. And then I was becoming more interested in the solutions for it. For example, clean deck. I was super stoked about wind energy. And one of the professors in my department actually had a research project that was focused on wind power and studying like what are the wind patterns on top of one of the buildings and it was pretty, it was, it was timely because they were actually considering putting a wind turbine, a vertical axis wind turbine. So one that spins this way rather than like the tall ones that spin that way normally. So where he needed someone to do data analysis on the wind patterns around the area that they were considering. So I asked him if I could help out and he's like, sure. So um, Dr. Ballantyne gave me the data, I processed it. And that was like my first introduction into um, like computer programming stuff, but also into the, the world of clean tech, which is really exciting. Did they ever put the wind turbine on, on the uh, campus building? They did. Yeah, it was actually, yeah, they ended up, I don't know what happened to it. It, it was on P's and P's got knocked down or part of P's got knocked down. I don't know if they've replaced the wind turbine or where it went, but it was there in my graduating year. And I wanted to do a research project on like how much energy are we actually getting from this wind turbine? And uh, I couldn't get any data from it. We had worked with the company that had put up the turbine and it was actually we didn't see any information about it because we thought that the there may have been something wrong with the recording devices because it just requires maintenance to keep those working but it, it was up it, i didn't get to see the data but it was up <laughs> in the 20-year plan that i think president stanley just put forth they are talking about putting a wind turbine out in the lake because I oh, guess, yeah, they no have way. access to that that area around the college. And I know you went there and I went there. There's a lot of wind out there. Yes, yes. And actually, so when I was there, one of the things that I had done, 
while I was in school, I went down to like this town hall meeting that was talking about offshore wind and like the entire, like the majority of people were opposed to even like thinking about or um, pursuing any, any kind of due diligence related to having offshore wind in the community, which I totally understand that there's concerns about um, just if there's going to be changes to the environment, things like that. And we want to make sure that the community is also accepting of, of the new technology that comes in. Um, but the, the community was definitely opposed to it back then. I wonder, if it, do you know if it's, it's changed? It'd be really interesting to see, or maybe the as SUNY as speaker doesn't need to worry about that. Yeah, I was, you know, I mean, that land right off of, um, you know, where um, uh, new campus is, I would imagine that land is part of SUNY Oswego. I mean, I, I know you'd probably want to get community involvement, but if you own the land, then shouldn't you it be able to, you know, right? Shouldn't you be able to, I, in, the, in the latest, I think it's the latest Oswego magazine, they talk about a 20 year plan to be carbon neutral. And their nice. point was that they just say, stop saying can't. Let's say we can, and if we can, how? That's you know? really exciting, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been like 10 years too since I had that, that had gone to that town hall. So things have definitely changed with like the, the community sentiment around clean technology and climate change. So even then, maybe everyone should change their, change their minds too. And it's exciting that the school is like, we can do this. It's like, it's, I don't know, it, it warms my heart. Oh. <laughs> So before this interview, I have a confession to make. I took a hot shower. <laughs> I said, oh my God, I'm going to have to tell Brittany I took a shower and I felt guilty about it. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. <laughs> so, so what are the things that like you're doing that you say, wow, if only more people did this thing, I, I know that normal people singularly can't really do a huge amount for to to combat climate change but we can all do our part is there a thing that you do that you wish more people would know about and do yeah i think this this actually leans still on policy but i i really firmly believe that the biggest change that can be made is people voting like voting and getting involved locally at state level government like federally as well like if you vote for the right people or you write your um your representatives and tell them like this is something i really care about like it it allows them to see like this is something that's important like the representatives to see that this is something important to the constituents and they want to get voted back in so the more people who do write in about caring about climate change and pollution and all these other things the more it, like the squeaky wheel um gets the grease kind of situation it's gonna make an impact that way um, other individual actions people can take is, for example, uh, reducing your meat intake. So for example, if I think beef is particularly bad when it comes to carbon dioxide emissions and global warming, things like that, if you don't want to entirely cut out beef, just occasionally replacing beef with chicken, like chicken has less of an impact. If you want to go full vegetarian, you want to do the whole thing, go for that too. But that's a hard transition to make. But like little small changes people can make, I think is what, I think people let, um, let the, they want like to be perfect, but it's like that, that you don't need to be perfect in order to make even a small impact that will help hopefully um, across, the whole climate change issue. So that's, those are the two pieces that I have for people. 
Uh, so most people uh, will go hmm, when they hear this, but uh, so I'm a vegan, but I eat fish. Nice. So I'm actually a pescatarian, but nobody knows what that is. So I just say vegan, <laughs> I eat fish. <laughs> and once you start down the road where you say, okay, I want to do this for my health. And then you're hanging out with other people who talk about this. And then you're like, okay, I want to do this for the animals. And then you start finding out what this does for the environment because we're growing things. So these animals can eat those things. And then they're eating all the, you know, all the green and all the water and then producing all this waste. So if we just ate the green stuff, <laughs> which we can do, we would take out the rest of that, you know, the rest of that process and, and really uh, do a lot of good uh, for the carbon. Um, I think sometimes people struggle with climate change because there are so many pieces to this puzzle. Do you, do you feel that yes. way? Totally. Yeah. It's like, where do you start? And there are so many, so many ways to start that it's, it becomes like a paradox of choice and, and also concern that you're not doing enough. And that's, that's a very real anxiety, I think for sure. So you live in California. Do you think because of fires and uh, water shortages, do you think that climate change is more, uh, people are more ready to buy in and do whatever they can in California and maybe less so in the Midwest because they're not seeing it. That could be it. Um, I think it's a mixture of things related to that. And at least in California, you do. I do think that because you see basically your last year and we had these fires that were raging and the entirety of our skies were just like this, like this orangish hue because of um, the pollution that had sort of just tinted the sky. And it's, it's very salient. Um, when it comes to the Midwest, I do also think that there, there could also be like the economic opportunities that have presented themselves are another reason why there's a little bit more resistance. For example, you have natural gas, you have coal, you have all these carbon-based products that can be sourced and produced and um, used in those areas and they give people jobs and when people's livelihoods are tied to an energy source then i think it becomes harder for people to want to make a transition because it they see it as them kind of giving up their way of life and there there are ways to mitigate that i think it's sort of like government needs to step in and like provide training for people to um get the skills they need to transition into another technology, like going from coal and using their expertise and, and learning more to transition to renewable energy instead. Um, there's there's different ways to address it, but the yeah, that dichotomy is very real. And I think that there's, it's, it's a multi-pronged uh, problem. Here in central New York, we have so much riches with water and, and everything is green here. And we, you know, we have not had fires and haven't had hurricanes, you know, all we have is the snow, which when you think about it is water and it's wonderful. Uh, all right. When there's six feet of snow, no one thinks it's wonderful, <laughs> but I, I think climate change for us is so back burner because we have all these riches of nature around us. And I think when you have all this, you kind of take it for granted. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I don't know, it, it might be that. It really might be the biggest piece of just how salient it is. And like New York really does have like these just beautiful natural riches in, in the area. 
So before we move off of this, I just wanted to touch on your part of the Hanold Foundation. Did I get that right? Uh, Honold, Honold Foundation, yeah. So uh, one piece on climate change we didn't talk about is solar, and uh, their foundation is is focused on solar. Tell me about it. Yeah. Okay. So the Honold Foundation we promote solar energy initiatives for a more equitable equitable world, if I can say it properly. And what that basically means is that um, we want to provide f- uh, funding resources tools for partners and organizations, communities uh, that to have solar in their communities, but the solar should also have an impact of, of increasing equity in, in that community. So for example, the, um, the communities that are most impacted and disproportionately impacted by climate change and pollution are typically underrepresented communities, um, underserved communities, such as like, like the um, like communities who are, uh, I guess, poor, like they have less resources available to them. And part of that reason is because of the fact that uh, politics is it's very much about who can lobby for these resources and things like that. So helping people get access to clean technology, which is actually also typically a clean technology can be expensive. So we want to make sure that other people who who may not typically have access to clean technology are able to get access to it as well. Um, and so it's, I've been a part of the organization since I think 2014, 2015. Wow. Originally, yeah, originally as an intern, then I moved into the organization as like a, st- a staff support where I was do- helping pull together uh, grant funding, uh, applying to grants and uh, creating reports, just various things. And then I joined the board a couple years ago and help out with think about strategy, things like that now. Is that, um, do they support the United States or this worldwide? We're inter. oh yeah, that's a good point. So we're international. We, uh, we mainly focus on um, the Americas. We were originally trying to focus on the Americas, but we also have worked in Ethiopia, Angola. Um, I think we have a project now, I think in Ecuador, I, I'm, Hope I'm not getting that confused with something else, but uh, basically we're international. Wow. So girl from Binghamton, now living in Palo Alto, working at one of the biggest tech com- companies in the country. Tell me a little bit about how you get from a graduate at Oswego to uh, Tesla. Yeah. Okay. That was, that was a journey. <laughs> um, um, so after I graduated from from SUNY Oswego, I just I knew I really wanted to work in clean tech. I just wanted to do something related to solar, to wind, and one of my friends, who actually Kayla Doan, she um, is still one of my close friends from Oswego. She referred me to a role at NSTAR, which is a utility company in Boston, and I worked there for a year as an interconnections uh, department co-op or co-term, where basically. It was, it was a lot of just paperwork. It was grunt work. And I think everyone just has to start somewhere. And that's where I started. And it made me, it like opened my eyes to the fact that there's just so much bureaucracy tied to clean energy, clean technology, and connecting it to the grid. And it, it was like a really good, it was a great experience, I think, in that way, because I learned a lot. I got to meet a lot of um, people who also cared about the same things as well. So I started out there and then after a year I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona and I worked for a private equity firm where I was 
doing data analysis for their solar assets. And after about a year, um, I, I was basically make, making reports and keeping people up to date with how these solar facilities were running and like, were, was there anything broken? Uh, if it is broken, let's get some people out to fix it, things like that. After about a year of doing that, I was like, okay, I think I kind of want to move on because it just felt a little bit like I was getting bored and didn't feel like I was getting challenged. So I, I was like, maybe grad school is like the next place for me because I just felt like I kind of want to start learning again. So I pulled my application together and um, yeah, I, I applied to Stanford and that, that was like the nexus of everything I wanted, which was atmospheric sciences and energy. And it was the program's really called Atmosphere and Energy in the Civil and Environmental Engineering program. So I was like, this is perfect. So anyway, I got in, moved out there, and I took the the Civil Environmental Engineering Master's program. It was great, very like it, it was life changing because it like helped me kind of just push myself even harder than I had before. And I met some really great friends too. And my friend um my friend ended up referring me to a role at Tesla and that's how I actually ended up at Tesla. I originally started out working as an energy analyst and then made my way up as a software engineer. Wow, that's amazing. And I, I love how your friends all have a part in getting you started. I think that's the quintessential Oswego story. Um, I don't know about you from 2012, but it's a very, it rings true from my year of 1985. So it's nice to hear it's, it's still ringing true in 2012. Totally. Yeah. I think for some reason, I, I always had like this perspective where I was like, it's almost like a distilled view of the world where my work should like prove itself. I, like I, if I produce good work, it should show I should be able to achieve whatever I want. But over the years, I really have like come to appreciate and um, appreciate the fact that your network and your friends, the people who care about you, the people who you care about, like they really kind of help you. They, they help you along the way and, and they unlock doors for you that you potentially wouldn't have been able to do by yourself. And I'm so grateful for all my friends and um, the people who have supported me along the way because of it. Now, I know one of your other passions is is STEM and women breaking through in the sciences. Did you find, you know, for all the um, undergrads who are uh, watching and listening, um, is it still really hard for girls and, and, and women students who leave Oswego to break into these fields? I think, I think that the the difficulty isn't necessarily about I think I don't I think it can be difficult to get into these fields in for some cases and and for some people um from from my own experience it was I think the most difficult is like wanting to stick around sometimes because things can things can get difficult I've had men interrupt me in meetings and um no one like bats and I, I've had people scream at me. I've had uh, like situations where I've um, I've said an idea and no one like hears it or like, I guess hears it. They, they just don't acknowledge it. And then a guy says the same thing that I literally just said and, they, and then they get credit for it. And it just drives me crazy. And there's more insidious things that happen. And, and the, I've heard of discrimination in different workplaces, things like that. And it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's a hard place. And that, that is not to say like, it's not worthwhile though. 
I one of the things that I've learned along the way is like these things make me very angry and upset because it just it just feels so unfair and because of that it's driven me to want to make a change and all of the things that I've started looking into since like about when I was 25 years old I started becoming more involved with diversity equity inclusion initiatives and every time I get involved with any of any initiative um, at any organization, I feel like I found a community of people who who remind me of the good and why I'm here, and they validate how my experience. And that for me has been so key to just feeling like, okay, I can keep doing this. This is really important for me to keep doing this because there are other people next to me who who are also experiencing this as well, and there are people behind me who are younger, like the SUNY Oswego students today, like. I want them to keep pushing through too, because we can we can make a change. We can we can make things better for for everyone, and especially for women and underrepresented groups. It's it's really important for us to keep keep pushing it. And obviously, government government uh, can like help with different incentives like affirmative action, um, which is also nuanced and complicated. And um, but like there there are different ways that it's not just the individual needing to make change, but given the world that we live in today, like our individual um, action is to kind of try and keep pushing through and make changes on the ground level as much as we can too, I think. If, if we have the energy, it's, it, obviously it's hard to do that um, if, if you're just drained from your work every day, but that's basically where I stand. I kind of rambled there, but. <laughs> no, you, I'm listening to you and I'm saying, oh my God, thank God we have somebody like you out there pushing this, pushing this envelope, because when you talk about it, you light up, uh, you know, like a battery on a Tesla. I mean, you are just <laughs> really lit up on this and that's fantastic because the only way we're going to get change in this area is if passionate people like you push the bar. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, I have seen the younger generation, they continue to impress me. Like I am, I am so inspired by them. So I am stoked to see what they do too, but I'll be here when they get, when they arrive. <laughs> well, they'll be happy because that means that someone in a leadership position is going to recognize them and not cut them off in a meeting or steal their ideas. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> I, if, if I happen to do that, definitely call me out. <laughs> uh, something tells me you're not starring in the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> No, no. Uh, so diversity, you are uh, a part of a group that's working on that at, at Tesla as well. And do you, do you get the same um, enjoyment working in that area as you do just like working in your job or maybe more? Yeah, totally. I really do. I love it. I think um, it's there are ways that I can actually be a software engineer in the realm of diversity, equity, inclusion in and outside of Tesla. So um, it's definitely worthwhile. It's, it's nice when I get to blend the two. So I feel like it's not really a choice of either or. It's like I get to do and a lot of times. You said inside and outside Tesla. Do you mean representing the company in other places? Oh, no. So, um, so one of the things... I, I would probably just do this on my free time, uh, but like building out different tools potentially or open source projects. Um, there's a thing called GitHub where you can put your code 
and people can reuse that code for whatever they need it for. So th that's more of what I mean. I haven't actually done any presentations for Tesla before, so uh, none of what I say has been a represent representation of Tesla, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the lawyers want us to say right now. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> but so that means you bring an energy and a passion to coding, not only in your job, but in outside interests when you're online, you're, you're part of a community of coders. Yeah, yeah, I try to be. And does that make it more, do you find uh, that diversity that you're looking for when you're out there online, you suddenly realize, oh, there's more people out here just like me? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the communities that I've recently reached out to, which they're not really a community, I think it, they're more actually related, they're Airbnb, they've open sourced some of their, their projects for um, inclusive naming conventions is what they call it, I think. And I uh, recently just started messaging them and it's been really inspiring just to see them super psyched about the, uh, the diversity, equity, inclusion on their side as well. Great. Well, I warned you the last question was going to be your Oscar speech. So <laughs> you, you sound like you've had a great career and have leaned on a lot of Oswego people to get where you are. So who would you like to thank students and teachers that help you get where you are? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I mean, the first four people I think of are um, Dr. Scubis. He was in the meteorology department who um, was just a great professor. Um, and then Dr. Seiger as well, who taught mesometeorology, more of the core meteorology classes. Dr. Ballantyne, who's actually um, was my primary research advisor and, and just super intelligent, really helpful all the time, really inspiring man. I, I, I'm so grateful for him. Um, and Dr. Sam, who, as I mentioned before, he passed away, but he was a great professor and definitely missed um, in, in our community. Um, and then uh, there's also Professor Jorgensen. So as much as I talk about tech and uh, meteorology and climate change, Professor Jorgensen, is a he was my clarinet teacher and he, it was great. So he, he basically helped remind me that I am not just meteorology, climate change and wind power. Like, uh, clarinet and music are also important and something that I really value in my life. So um, there's that. And pro uh, Professor Horning, she was a piano teacher for me as well. Uh, professor Lee, who's physics, Dr. Schneider, who's a chemistry professor who basically never gave me crap for the fact that I always came in late to his class, but he's great. <laughs> um, and then Dr. Vendiscus, uh, who uh, even though he never had me as a student. He reviewed my graduate school essay. Like we randomly met at a conference and he reviewed my graduate school essay, which got me into, which is one of the things that got me into Sanford. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and then all of my classmates too, um, Lacey Pittman, Steve Travis, uh, Joe Finland, all the meteorology uh, classmates, they're, they're all so incredible, inspiring to work with. Did any of them go on to be TV meteorologists? No, I think so. Lacey Pittman, I think she's she's working in geology. I don't think she's working because she got a dual degree. Mm -hmm. um, Steve Travis, he did work at AccuWeather. I'm not sure where he's working now, um, but he I, he did do broadcasting. He's like got the perfect voice for broadcasting. Um, and then I think Joe Finland is working at uh, maybe a research institute. I can't remember, but um, they're all doing like every, like they're all just doing great things. Oh, that's wonderful. Brittany, thanks so much for spending time with me. We reached out to each other on LinkedIn. You didn't know who I was. I really appreciate your time.
Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. It was so great to meet you. And um, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing to also amplify the, the voices and stories of As We Go alum. Well, and that leads me into thanks everybody for watching and listening. If you know a great story that we should shine a light on, then comment on LinkedIn, comment on Facebook, or reach out to the As We Go alumni department and let us know because we're always looking for great stories like Brittany's. <laughs> uh, we will see you again. Thanks again for watching. I'm Dee Perkins for the Oswego Alumni Podcast.